HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com. Meet and Three is back. We're kicking off our fourth season and celebrating HRN's 10th anniversary with a very special episode about our home, Brooklyn. Roberta's was such an interesting place with such a strong gravitational pull and attracted all these different groups. The neighborhood has changed a lot over the past decade from its culinary renaissance to the complicated implications of gentrification. I would say the majority of the people who are members of our co-op definitely have a certain purchasing power, are mostly white, and we are trying to change that. We're taking you on a journey that spans the birthplace of food radio to buzzy neighborhood pollinators to the transformative health journey of our borough president. That was my moment of, you know, wow, someone has thrown me a life raft and I'm going to take it. Subscribe to Meet in 3, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E, available wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Meant to be Eaten on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Coralie. So if you Google today's guest, um, immediately pops up the article, Chris Chung Respects Tradition by Breaking It. A clickbaity headline that's buzzy, but somewhat incomplete and not quite correct, um, much like our topic at hand today. Chris Chung is chef owner of East Wind Snack Shop, and we will discuss the unlucky openings as of late. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. So you have this long and impressive history of cooking under impressive people, but that food you cooked was always hyphenated or you know, the capital F word, fusion food. So can you talk about your journey and what brought you to open Eastwind? Yeah, sure. Um, the journey was started from my career, but it goes all the way back to my childhood because we focus on dumplings and we, you know, cook really good dumplings at Eastwind. They were kind of famous for it. And, um, you know, I grew up on dumplings. You know, one of the first memories of food that I had growing up was, you know, six, seven years old, um, living in Chinatown and downstairs was a uh, really cool coffee shop um, that sold, you know, little snacks like shrimp dumplings. And they were the best I've ever had. And it th- that taste still resonates within me, and and it and it makes me inspired to cook the dumplings I do today. Uh, you know, like most chefs, kind of um, you know draw from you know uh, childhood experiences through food, and um, and that's no different for me. So uh, growing up in Chinatown definitely influenced where I am today as a chef. And that uh, coffee shop um, used to be a 
common thing in Chinatown, little coffee and tea houses that really serve the uh, food, that serve the community of Chinatown, the working community of Chinatown. And um, you know, my store in um, Eastwind is very, very much like that. I actually was inspired to create his Eastwind um, from those little tea houses and coffee shops that no longer exist in Chinatown. You know. Um, you know, things change in Chinatown. Uh, the uh, model for that sort of shop is gone. There's only maybe one or two left. So, uh, you know, that I'm very happy to uh, be where I am for that. Are those dumplings in your memory still the best you've ever had? Yes, they still are. I mean, they always will be. You know, when you're a kid and there's nothing uh, like enjoying something that you really, really like to eat and it's in a hometown snack. I didn't really appreciate it back then, really didn't know. You learn about that later in life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then when you figure it out and kind of connect the dots to it, it's, it's a really cool thing. Mm -hmm. So you had these dumplings and you weren't thinking that much about it. And then you went to culinary school and you were cooking primarily French-Asian food. Right? Yeah, so I had the, I guess, luck to come out of cooking school and go to work uh, for John George Wong Richten, who just opened Vong, and that was the, uh, you know, a Thai, yes, F-word, fusion, <laughs> a style of restaurant, and he had, uh, I guess, cooked and lived in Thailand for a few years before he came back to New York, and, um, you know, he was, uh, being a, a low-end guy in the kitchen, you know, his prep cook, salad guy, garmanger, um, just starting out, just getting out of school, and, you know, I, you know, it's Thai ingredients, you know, I'm Chinese, I wasn't really familiar with a lot of the Thai ingredients at that time, just like him, and I got to take that journey alongside of him of being amazed at all the different flavors and ingredients that we got to work with that we never had before. Um, and, you know, from two different points of view, obviously, you know, he's a iconic four-star, great, famous chef, and I'm just starting off um, my career. Uh, but it's kind of cool to kind of look back on it and, and see those parallels. Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel that kind of conflict um, of identity or maybe point of view where you are an Asian cooking of another Asian cuisine, but were kind of seen to, or you were kind of looked at to adopt this other cuisine, if that makes sense? Well, you know, um, you got to look at the time back then, Asian food, and it was, uh, you know, New York, they just started to kind of embrace Asian food as being uh, a serious cuisine. And of course, you know, it got put into one big jumbled uh, bin. And, you know, it's us, up to us chefs to kind of sort it out. And, um, you know, some failed and some did really great. And um, and so that's what the that was the task at hand, and and a lot of us that were growing up the ladder and coming up the ladder and cooking great food, uh, you know, started to kind of figure that out. So it was a work in progress. It still is. Mm -hmm. So did you know you wanted to open a Chinese restaurant your whole life, or was this? Actually, no. So you know, you're uh, young and you're impressionable, and you're in the New York City food market, and you're um, you know you're kind of just taking it as it comes and I've done it all I've you know I cooked French I cooked Japanese I cooked uh, um, the Thai I, you know and then but you know when it when push came to shove and I was at that point in my career on what I really wanted to do I fell back uh, to my passion for Chinese food it's been around me all my life it's been a part of me it just felt right mm -hmm. so you talk about the coffee shops serving the local neighborhood why South Slope and who are you finding that you're serving the most and how do certain choices on the menu serve these target audiences? 
it's kind of funny because it, it really wasn't anything that was planned out. It was I had uh, done a project and that project fell through and I kind of felt myself, found myself doing nothing at the time. And, um, you know, some people wanted me to do some projects with them. And, you know, I was kind of bouncing stuff around. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was this place three blocks from my house and it was for rent. And, you know, my wife told me, you know, why don't you go check that place out? And, uh, you know, I was very skeptical. Skeptical. I didn't think anything was going to happen with this, you know, and that's how life is, right? You know, you know, the least thing that you think is going to happen, it happens. Two weeks later, I had a lease. Mm -hmm. Two weeks. And uh, we started off as a labor of love. I had a uh, menu of like 25 things and I was doing all the work by myself and, you know, it was kind of felt really good. But then yeah, I didn't know the excitement of the neighborhood was um, going to be that crazy. So I'd be prepping to about three o'clock in the morning and, uh, you know, have all my stuff ready for the next day. We'd open up at noon and we'd be sold out by three. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, wait, something has to change here. And, um, you know, uh, the whole neighborhood embraced me. You know, I have a at the time my son was about nine or ten and you know he went to the local school and you know a lot of the kids would come over and the families and I started to see the same uh, you know this this thing happening where kids were growing up in my restaurant uh, enjoying the food enjoying the whole experience and the parents were having it just of a great of a time and you sit back and you're cooking their dumplings and you could see the look on their faces and it's a really really good feeling to to you know have uh, been able to um, make that happen mm -hmm. but you talk about the coffee shops growing up or that you were growing up in serving the Chinese working class and that's not really the case in Eastwind is it it kind of is we have a destination uh, part of our restaurant but we actually do serve a lot of the working class in, in, in the neighborhood. It's a total neighborhood place. You know, we, we've gotten lucky um, and uh, blessed to have some great reviews come our way. And, you know, a lot of that is the result of hard work. I, you, know, um, you know, I'm happy to get that. But what we do is uh, not pretentious. We make really, really great dumplings. I try to work the technique out as best I can. We call it chasing the perfect dumpling. And I do, you know, all the thinking from, you know, the... The, you know what we do to the dough it's all homemade uh, to the fillings which is you know the meats responsibly sourced and you know uh, every flavor that goes in there is you know meticulous and 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 we try to put that together and we we fold each dumpling by hand every day from scratch and we cook every dumpling to order um, and uh, and you know we sell out every night and and we go from there so you know we just put a really good emphasis on making really good food and whoever comes comes and the neighborhood has embraced us so uh, they come mm -hmm. yeah I guess I, I live a few blocks away as well and all my so neighbors you've seen it right oh, I've yeah, seen yeah. it yeah, yeah, yeah I've been many times um, and most of my neighbors are white and so I think it's really interesting that you are this neighborhood place right and you're kind of creating these childhood memories for a lot of these kids of a cuisine that they're not usually familiar with so do you feel like you have this almost responsibility of translating your culture for another so i love this segue right so <laughs> this is a great segue i am like gonna pound on this segue right, right. so yes lots of lights lots of white kids in the neighborhood and otherwise they may not have the same perspective dealing with a chinese person um, and they feel really comfortable in my store and they really, really get the food and they really love, you know, having to, you know, they drag their parents in. Um, and so, you know, later down in life, 
when they have some influence and they are shaping this world and they're doing whatever they're doing from being whatever they are, police officer to a politician to, you know, restaurant worker to a restaurant owner, um, they're going to have a lot more respect for other people's culture because they enjoyed it and were, and were brought in and invited to be part of it for at least a little while when they were growing up. Mm-hmm. So that's my hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, we were discussing how Eastwind has made all these top lists and is constantly seen as this destination restaurant, but also it's made the top of many lists that are NYC cheap eats. So how do you combat or acknowledge the stereotype that Chinese food is always cheap or must stay cheap? Yeah, so there's two sides of the coin uh, with that. I think that, uh, yes, the there is a perception that needs to be elevated, that when somebody wants to do elevated food and it happens to be in the Asian parameter, that it should be treated with the same price points that, um, you know, belong to, you know, any European cuisine or, you know, anything like that. But for me, humbleness is what Chinese food, makes Chinese food magical and special to be able to do something with humble ingredients and to make something great out of it. And Chinese food has always been part of that. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk about all these lucky restaurants that have been opening. Lucky, lucky, lucky. (laughs) Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States. But that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kotbalk Cave-Age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Mon, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. And you know, Heritage Radio Network has thousands more. Hi, my name is Linda Palaccio, and I'm the host on A Taste of the Past here on HRN. Join us on a weekly journey through culinary history, where we explore the when, where, what, and why of food throughout history. You can find A Taste of the Past wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. And we're back. This is Meant to be Eaten. I'm talking with Chef Chris Chung. So we're going to dive into these various lucky um, restaurants that have been opening up. There's Lucky Cricket, which is Andrew Zimmern's, Lucky Lee's, which is um, a local one here in New York City, and Lucky Cat, which is Gordon Ramsay, but we're going to focus on the two more local ones, Lucky Cricket and Lucky Lee's. So can you kick us off? What are? Let's start with Lucky Cricket. Um, who opened it? Why did he open it? What is he trying to do with it? So that was uh, Andrew Zimmerman as I... Um, uh, all right, so let me just backtrack here. So Lucky Cricket, yeah. So it's a restaurant, Chinese restaurant that's open in Minnesota. 
and uh, the head chef owner is Andrew Zimmerman, who is pretty famous for that uh, show, Bizarre Foods. And uh, you know, he's a uh, long-standing chef in the industry for many, many years, and he got famous, uh, I guess, primarily for that show. And he's been able to, I guess, travel the world and experience lots of cuisines. And he decided to open a Chinese restaurant in, I, I believe, it's his hometown of Minnesota. And um, and then he said some stuff, um, and. All I have to say about it is that I am so tired of people telling me or people saying publicly that they love Chinese food when it's obvious they have no respect for the people and the culture who make that food. And, um, you know, he was, he basically the quote was that, you know, his restaurant was better than the horseshit Chinese restaurants that uh, are already in Minnesota. And um, to, you know, try to, you know, Chinese food's hot right now, right? It's very hot. It's going through a renaissance. So uh, people are getting very interested in Chinese food and coming out to eat it in all sorts of forms and fashions. And um, so basically, you know, for me, uh, from my point of view, he just wants to make money and he wants to make money by, you know, cooking Chinese food in his own Chinese restaurant and springboarding it off the backs of Chinese culture and putting it down and and saying how better he is with it when you know I you know I, I have I can say I have not eaten eaten there but I will tell you that you know he had contacted me uh, before the restaurant had opened and um, you know he he was looking for a Chinese chef and uh, you know he had a very complicated menu lots of um, signature dishes from uh, places all across Across Asia, that I'm assuming that he visited, and he wanted to, uh, uh, I guess, recreate in his own place. Um, but I'm assuming he didn't know how. And uh, you know, he needed a Chinese chef to run this. And um, you know, I'm sure he approached a lot of people to get this going. It's a, a pretty big project, from what I was told. And um, so he didn't have somebody to do it. And when I was uh, asked to help him out to uh, get a Chinese chef, I just questioned him about credit. You know, I just wanted to say, hey, you know, well, you know, this is your restaurant, you own it, but, you know, you're going to get a Chinese chef, you're going to get me to get you a Chinese chef to do the operations on day to day, you know, you're going to give, you know, um, you know, you're going to give this guy credit because, you know, it might be your menu, but he's the one that's going to be cooking it every day. I don't know what your expertise in cooking Chinese food is. I know you've been on TV and you've um, described it and, uh, you know, highlighted it on TV, but we all know that that's far, a far cry from cooking it uh, day to day on a, in a restaurant uh, environment. And he told me he'd give uh, full credit. And uh, so obviously full credit to him meant um, saying that all the other restaurants in the neighborhood were bullshit. And I still haven't heard any credit from whoever's running the store for him. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's all I got to say about Lucky Cricket. Um, you, know, uh, you know, Lucky Cricket, Lucky Lee's, you know, they, they, they say something offensive, you know, offensive to Chinese people, offensive to Chinese culture, and then they get called out for it, and they apologize, and they say they didn't mean it, but yet it keeps getting said, and I have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. So a lot to unpack here. Let's start with um, Chinese food experiencing a renaissance. What about our current climate today is affording this renaissance, do you think? Well, I think that one is Chinese food is revered around the world, right? It's uh, revered uh, around the world as one of the top cuisines. Uh, it's up there with, you know, French, Italian, you know, all the top cuisines. Chinese has a place at the table, um, except in America. 
So in America, we're just starting to realize that there are other forms of Chinese food, there are different regions of Chinese food. Uh, there's this whole abundance of different flavors that you, uh, like especially in New York, we really are accustomed to one or two regions of Chinese food. And now that it, it, it's, it's rapidly growing and you know, the world is taking an interest in China and you know, its expansion. And um, so I think that kind of goes hand in hand with you know, kind of curiosity about the food. And then, you know, again, it's not, it's not revered in the world as one of the top cuisines for nothing. It tastes really good. It's, it's technically sound. It's, um, you know, it's, it's the real deal. So I'm glad that it's getting a little bit of, more of a spotlight than when I was growing up having it. Right. Do you think this uh, renaissance is consumer driven or industry slash chef driven? Well, it's always consumer-driven from the from its origin point. You know, people have to have a uh, demand for it, and then the chefs, um, you know, feel that feel passionate about it will uh, will meet that uh, demand with supply. And um, you know, again, you can take your good with the bad. A lot of people are in it just for the money and for the fame, and the other, and a lot of other people are really, really passionate about uh, seeing where the cuisine can go. Mm-hmm. Right, but this kind of reminds me of the earlier renaissance a trend in like the 80s right but then um, it was just done so wrong right it was done by the wrong people or the Asian chefs I'm thinking Martin Yen if he were to do it um, he's kind of boxed in right and so why haven't we learned from history well, I, I have a different point of view from that. You know, I'm a Martin Yen fan. You know, I think, uh, you know, I used to watch him growing up Yen when Ken I was Cook. a kid. Yeah, Yen Ken Cook, man. A Chinese guy can do that on TV. And, you know, um, and uh, and the things that he was doing and, you know, the, the, the things that he had to get through to get to that point. You know, I looked at it and, uh, you know, I didn't, I, would, I didn't have aspirations of being a chef at that point. But he was somebody, you know, when you were Chinese and you were a kid my age growing up, there were two dudes. That was it. It was Martin Yen and Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Bruce Lee got you some street cred, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you know Martin Yan was like kind of like at home. Wow, check that out! What this guy can do. So um, you know, yes, whenever you have a big um, a big thing happening, the pop of a cuisine, you're going to have your good and your bad, and it all kind of you know the cookie crumbles where it crumbles, and it, it's either going to continue because there were enough really really good people that can um, drive that cuisine forward. Or it crumbles a little bit and then implodes on itself and then and then kind of has an, a new life in some other form. And you've seen that with a lot of the Asian fusion places that you're talking about in the 80s and the 90s. And you can see where that, you know, recipe of, uh, you know, mingling lots of different Asian cuisines and mingling them within the same dish or kind of having three different or four different types of Asian cuisines on the menu at the same time has kind of worked its way into different styles right now where it's either a little bit more accepted or you know you have um, you have the other side where people are really trying to get to the bottom of authenticity and really trying to get to the bottom of you know where uh, different regions and the uh, traditions of different regions uh, lie and uh, you know it's really cool to kind of see that happen and as a chef to kind of figure that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah I was gonna say I feel like especially the past five, five, six years, there's this huge obsession with authenticity and being able to identify and claim that you've eaten at an authentic, quote unquote, place. And so with this obsession, why are still fusion places so hot? And why are they still being opened? 
Well, I mean, at the bottom line of it, you know, some people like to be able to get a Chinese dish and get sushi at the same place. Mm. You know, <laughs> some of it's convenience. It's really, you know, just the practical thing. Other, uh, other, you know, places people are trying to weave stuff together, and you know, this this ingredient is really from Japan, but it really kind of cooks well and goes well with this ingredient from Thailand or China, and they found that as you know to be part of integral part of one of their recipes, and people run with it. And in the hands of a good chef, it can you know it can come out. Uh, but again, what you're seeing, you know, you're seeing. Uh, you know, you're seeing four or five different Chinatowns in New York right now. Um, you know, you're seeing uh, a a pop in uh, the popularity of something like you know Koreatown and things like that. There's, you know, I think there's more Thai restaurants, little Thai restaurants, to go in the city than there are Chinese now. Um, so you know, it's starting to have a serious foothold into the fabric of food and uh, you know in new york at least from you know where i'm coming from because i'm a chef in new york right so you know you got you're looking at what's around you and uh you know i i think you know it's a cool thing you you have to you know everything is kind of on its island of its own you have to check out each place um you know as you go and kind of make the decision for yourself and what's good and what's not mm-hmm. yeah i think um it would be remiss to not acknowledge that like you say, taking, you know, soy sauce and adding dashi or, you know, Szechuan peppercorns to this weird fusion recipe is kind of necessary to the advancing of our food future. And I think. Well, uh, let me put it this way. So there are a few different styles of the pro- of the progression of Asian food in the city. I want to get too technical. It's starting to sound a little bit too out there. But what you have is, you know, two great things uh, happening. You have your traditional chefs and chefs that really want to emulate and do the way it's always been doing and try to do it the best they can. And you have other chefs that are trying to take what has been there and push the envelope on it. And to be at a time when both sides have really strong grips on what they're doing is a really cool thing in the city. So go eat, go out and check it out. You know, you hear about, you know, something that's traditionally sound. It's no better or worse than the guy that's pushing the envelope. It's just different. And you have to just have that mindset when you go and eat that, you know, you're going to have to accept certain things uh, along with that. But once you do, it makes the meal a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. And so um, let's segue into Lucky Lee's. What about that makes... Um, why is that so complicated? Lucky Lee's is not too complicated. It's really simple. I'm, you know, I, you know, I was told that she was supposed to be here today. I was really hoping to, um, you know, have that one-on-one with her and really find out where, you know, where she's at. You know, um, you know, I wanted to know whether she was. Uh, really, really apologetic and felt really sorry about what she said, or if she was the person a lot of us kind of thought she was when we read that. Um, she, she said some really hurtful things. So yeah, let's backtrack. What um, what did she say? Well, um, I'm going to kind of quote her, you know, um, uh, not word for word, but, you know, she said things like, Chinese food makes me sick. Chinese food is icky. And, you know, uh, just blew me away. Like, how could you just say about the Chinese food? And then, wait a second, you're trying to be part of the Chinese food community. So that's the first thing you say about Chinese food. You know, so what is that? You love, you know, you, you, you love Chinese food or you hate Chinese food. Why would you hate a cuisine and then try to cook it? It, it just makes no sense to me. So, again, I go back to that Chinese food is hot right now and people are trying to make money on it and trying to do that off the backs of, you know, 
the Chinese food culture and community, and I can't accept that. I, I really can't. I think that, um, you know, she has a lot to learn, and, you know, I was hoping that, you know, a one-on-one with her would actually give her a chance to kind of, you know, address what she said to the Chinese food community through me at this point. And, uh, and she dropped out for whatever reason, and I think that's a little bit disappointing because I was really, really looking forward to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, picking her brain about, you know, uh, what she said and, you know, uh, what she thinks about now, uh, now that a restaurant is, you know, up and running for a couple of months. And, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, uh, trying to say that you're making Chinese food better. Um, you know, I would ask her what training does she have that gives her the right to say that she has the ability to make a 3,000-year-old cuisine better. You know, I was told uh, that she went on another interview and was asked the similar question and her Chinese food training, and I know she has some really serious training in nutrition and health uh, aspects, and with, with that being put aside for just a second, you know, um, training in Chinese food was books and whatever she went out to her uh, locally in Long Island where she lives to whatever Chinese restaurants that were there. And that's not good enough. That's not good enough to portray yourself as a Chinese food expert and to say that you have the ability to make it better. And then to go on and even push the envelope even more and say, hey, you know, it makes me feel icky. It makes me bloated. It makes me feel sick. And you're connecting the dots to a lot of things that Chinese food has got had to go through the stigmas over the last hundred years. I mean, come on. I mean, a hundred years ago, I mean, look at the parallel between today. You know, Mexicans and other Latinos, they're criminals and they don't belong here. Um, they said the same thing about Chinese people a hundred years ago. And then they tacked us through our food. You know, the stigmas, you know, they use MSG. You know, it's basically, you know, insinuating that Chinese people are purposely trying to poison you. Right? To get you to deflect upon how good the food is and to get you to not enjoy Chinese food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you say things like that, that's a dangerous road, road to, to be on. And, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm here to speak out against that. Mm-hmm. This is all to say there's totally a way to learn another person's cuisine and culture sensitively. So um, should she start a new slate or start a well, new... Well, first she's got to show that she has some respect for the... Uh, culture and people that make Chinese food. You can't love Chinese food and then disrespect the culture and people that make it. You can't do it. It just can't happen. Okay? Um, and so, you know, an apology is a non-apology for me. That It's a non-apology. Just, just, just to make people get off your back. Again, I said, you know, just like I said before, people make that offensive remark and then say they apologize for it and it all goes away. You know, that I mean, it, it, that's accepted. Uh, you know, I said that wrong, so I'll apologize, so everything's cool. You know, and uh, you know it's not cool because I don't believe in your apology. I think you, I think it's disingenuous the apology. Mm-hmm. I think you, you know, uh, you know, if she was here, I would ask her. You know, it's like, well, how many Chinese people do you have in working for you? How many, you know, people of color do you have working for you? Um, you know, and if you don't have any, hire some. You know, that'd be a good first step. Hire some, get to know them. You know, uh, I promise they won't dirty your restaurant. You know, so uh, those are the things that I would have loved to hear from her, but she's not here to answer those. So, uh, again, a little bit disappointed. Um, uh, You know, I would have loved to take her to task on some of these things for sure. I think the difficulty also is um, she has apologized, but much of the marketing copy and vision of this 
company is kind of built upon the bettering the bettering of Chinese food, right? Whatever that means. And so it's I don't really so know. Wait, wait, okay, so let me get this straight. Bettering of Chinese food. So her bettering of Chinese food is to thoughtfully curate everything that she put in her restaurant. Because if you see the pictures, everything is thoughtfully you know, curated. It's, it's well thought out, you know, from all the things that she was going to do with the, the high low main, you know, uh, quips and the uh, walk in, take out, you know, little signs. And, and then she makes these disparaging remarks and then she says she apologizes and she didn't mean to offend anybody. But then think about this, and she stuck to her guns. You know, she was like, well then, you know, why is the restaurant called Lucky Lee's? And she's like, oh, that's because my husband's name is Lee. So I'm thinking, wait, in the meeting that you had before this opened up, you you, you came up with high low main, you came up with uh, walk-in takeout, but Lucky Lee's wasn't a part of that. That wasn't part of the thinking. It was, um, it was had nothing to do with anything except that your husband's name was Lee. So I got to say that you're really going to go with that, really. Because if your your name was Harold, we'd be talking about Lucky Harold's right now. You know, mm-hmm. so a little bit, you know, come on, you know, come on, be real. You know, we all we all know. So, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think like the exact things you mentioned. How was Hyloman passed? How was walk-in takeout passed? I, I think those are still so subtly insensitive. They're jabs, you know. It's just 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 to make fun of us, and you know the fact that. What do you call it? the fact that she says, you know, she didn't mean it or she didn't know these days. This is, you know, 2019. Ignorance is not an excuse anymore. You know, you knew, you knew, mm-hmm. you knew when you, you know, when you try to you try to run with it and people called you out on it. And uh, and then you had to backtrack, mm-hmm. but you still stuck, stuck to your guns on some of it. So that's how I know that you didn't really mean that in that apology. Mm-hmm. And I, this isn't, you know, an isolated incident. I feel like that is a um, kind of common defense is, well, I didn't know. Or Yeah, I mean, I'll give her a little credit for apologizing. She did issue apologize. A lot of people wouldn't even apologize for it. So at least she apologized. But again, um, she's got to do more than that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, just apologizing, it doesn't make it all go away. We still are hurt. We still feel that, you know, that takes us back to back in the day when, uh, you know, people were telling us how, you know, you know, people telling Chinese people how bad their stigmas are. You know, you cook with poison. You, you know, you cook. Uh, you know, you're dirty. You, um, you cook with, uh, you know, rats and cats. And you know, those things are. You know, they're not true. You know, they're. they're you know, we don't. Per- we're not cooking to purposely make you sick. We're not cooking to make you sick at all. You know, it's a royal cuisine. It's a great cuisine. It's one of the best cuisines in the world. How come it can't ex- be accepted that way? And then here comes along, you know, people who try to quote make it better. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't need that. I don't need that. Mm-hmm. So given that Lucky Lee's is capitalizing off Chinese uh, culture and food, how best can they serve the Chinese community? Or is that even their intention? Showing up for the interview where you thought you might be able to at least clear the air, that's a start. Mm-hmm. But nobody here. Mm-hmm. So that tells you something, right? So, you know, uh, so I'm here. So, you know, I'll give my opinion and uh, there's no back and forth on it. So uh, that's, uh, you know, that's that's unfortunate. It's unlucky. (laughs) And in her future business plan or how she chooses to hold herself and the restaurant accountable, what can she do? Again, like I said, you know, um, 
open yourself up, hire some people that you know know a little something about the cuisine. Know, you know, hire some people that you'll learn a little bit about the culture. Start embracing that. You know, start you know do something for the Chinese community. How about that? You know, show show them that you know you are uh, um, you are truly uh, you truly want to be part of the Chinese food community. Mm-hmm. You know, how about that? How about and then showing up. Showing up is a big thing. So to kind of end on lighter terms <laughs> back to Eastwind um, I saw that at your new location you're serving General Tso's chicken which I thought was such a funny choice and one that I really appreciate and admire and it feels like you're kind of reappropriating this food and so can you talk a bit about the development of that idea? Yeah, well I'm Chinese American so why can't I uh, highlight some Chinese American food? Mm-hmm. It's, it's authentic and traditional in my heart and it's actually really good you know, um, you know, we're Chinese people have been in this country for a long, long time now. So we're talking about two, three, four, even sometimes five generations. And you know, General So's is one of those. If you look at General So's chicken, right? You look at that, and as a chef, you embrace it. Not because of where it came from and what people talk about it, but technically, as a chef, you're talking about crispy, fried, juicy chicken that takes on and absorbs the sauce, and for a small window of time, is so crispy still with the sauce glazed on it, and it's sweet and it's sour and it's salty and it's you know it's got all and it and it's chickeny and it's juicy and it you know and it's deep fried. It's got everything. Everything you would want as a chef to try to highlight you know your um, on on your ability to cook chicken great and um, so yeah so you know we technically pulled it apart we we made the chicken larger chunks so it stays juicy it, you know it's it's dark meat chicken it's got the skin on uh, you know we we twice fry it and so it kind of gets that extra layer of crispiness around it while keeping the chicken juicy we got this beautiful um, traditional uh, general soul glaze that just you know kind of lightly coats the top you know the uh, the outer layer of the chicken and uh, you know on a on a bed of jasmine rice I think there's nothing better. Mm-hmm. And so you're also part of the um, Asian food mafia. Can you talk a bit about what that is and who else is in it? Yeah, so uh, me and a bunch of chef friends got together to try to kind of influence the way Asian food is perce- perceived in uh, in this city, and you know some great great, great people that uh, I've gotten to know and been really, really good friends with over the years. You know, uh, Chef Duren Wong, Chef, uh, and you know, he uh, he heads up Northern Tiger and Brook Free Place. He also has a place called Lois and Cleaver. So these are shout outs now, so I'm going to shout everybody out as best I can. My apologies. Um, and, uh, you know, you have uh, Medwin Pang from Hunger Pang, who's doing some great stuff also in Brooklyn. He's not too far from me. Um, Ed and Lin Lin for the chefs at Bricolage, great, great gastro pub doing some awesome Vietnamese food, you know, really on par- in Park Slope, uh, really close to the Barclays, really, really good food. Jonathan Wu, uh, who used to cook at Phong Tu, which is one of those progressive envelope pushing chefs. Um, you know, uh, you have uh, Chef Bao Bao from uh, Bauberg. Um, uh, you know, there's uh, Christine Tang, there's, there's Eric Kwan. Um, you know, uh, and uh, you know, uh, David, to David Fu, you know, as part of us from, uh, you know, from California, P. Sheyang, uh, you know, there's there's a there's a whole bunch of us that uh, get together, we drink and we have a great time. We rant about the business, 
and um, and uh, and then we try to do some things that would uh, help promote Asian food in every way. You know, we've done some work with the Museum of Chinese in America. You know, we've done a bunch of James Baird dinners. Uh, you know, uh, we've uh, we've done some panel discussions at Google, uh, and the things keep going on. We're coming out with a book uh, relatively soon. Um, Is uh, it a collaborative? It's book? a collaborative book. It's uh, it's a photo book uh, done by Alan Batman, who's uh, you know very, very famous for uh, doing lots of chef books. So that's a very exciting thing for us coming up. So you know that that's a really cool thing. So yeah, some things on the horizon and some things you know. But basically, we're friends and we try to help each other and support each other as best we can in this hard business that we're doing, and uh, at the same time try to do some good for our for our cuisine as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about the Google panel. Um, what did you speak on? So we spoke on behalf of the Asian Google Network uh, a couple of times and we addressed some things that we thought were uh, again certain stigmas along the lines of Asian food price points uh, things that we wanted to open the discussion on to try to um, I get you know for some of our members they wanted to elevate uh, you know their cuisine and our cuisine. Others just wanted to get an open discussion on some things that we thought uh, could uh, be turned as far as things that were wrong that were going wrong in our in our cuisine in our world. Mm-hmm. So we're by no means closer to the right answer on how to address culinary appropriation, but um, this was it for <laughs> recent news. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I had Chris. a blast. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebrations happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.